Hi, everyone. My name is Shannon Calder, licensed therapist, and I'm joined by Dr. Kathy Barrett, forensic psychologist. We talk about all topics from a psychological perspective. Welcome to Tara Talk. Hi, everyone. This is Tara Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hello. Today on the show, we're going to talk David Lynch and some of his movies, some of the things that have stood out for us. We'll talk psychology, but we'll also talk a little bit about... Um, I don't know our thoughts on those. I mean, you could do, you could do an episode on probably each one of his movies. You really could, in a way. Um, For those of you who don't know, uh, David Lynch was born in 1946. He's an American filmmaker. He's also a painter, a musician, a singer, sound designer, photographer, and an actor. He's been in some stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So if and also if you're unaware of his uh, history, he. he did Eraserhead, Blue Velvet, Mulholland Drive, uh, The Elephant Man, uh, and the series Twin Peaks, both the first one and the second one, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and many, many mo- more. But I love him. I, I do too. He's... I love him. I think people love him or hate him. I think more people love him than hate him. I hope so. Um, because he really is just incredibly gifted and so fucked up (laughs) yeah Yeah. he's also done like music and sound design and painting of guitar he's like a full spectrum creative guy he he, the music piece Mm -hmm. i think um it's such a strength that he has a background in that i know we're going to talk about eraserhead which was his first main film but the amount of time and effort he put into the sound editing in that film. But also I remember being a little kid and watching Twin Peaks when it was on. <laughs> Me too. And being obsessed with it. And I had the soundtrack on tape. Oh. Yeah. And yes. I still have the theme to it. Yeah. Um, his music is always really part of the story. Oh my God. Yeah, tells the story. Absolutely. I mean, we'll get into Twin Peaks and talk about that. Yeah. That is a whole, that's a whole thing. But, um, yeah, I love David Lynch. Did you have? Did someone you know meet him? Or yeah, something? I saw a, a friend. A friend of mine. I'm, I'm no longer. I mean, I knew her years ago, but she dated his son. And she. Before I tell you the story, I'll give a little context to it. David Lynch is really. Uh, I don't know if obsessed is the right word, but he's definitely fascinated by death and suffering, mm-hmm. um, and more from from a, a, an observational place than like a, having a feeling about it. I mean, that's the feeling I get. It's more of like he observes it without judgment. It's more of like a curiosity. Mm-hmm. And one of the quotes um, I have from uh, an interview he did with the guardian, is he said, you can find suffering and death anywhere if you look. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a friend of mine years ago was telling me a story about when she had dated her son, his son and she was over at the house and David was there. And I guess there was a dead bird right outside their window. And the son was like, oh God, I have to go remove, you know, move the bird. And he was like, no, 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 no. He's like, just, just isn't it beautiful? Like, just let it sit there. Just let it, just let it be. And my, my friend was like, this was really interesting because he just stopped and he didn't want his son to touch it. And he just wanted to like, simply observe it and he i think this this sort of flavor comes up in every single 
piece of work he's done. Well, talk about the psychoanalytic perspective. Right. I mean, that is the psychoanalytic perspective. Right. And, and that that is one of the things we know about Lynch is that much a lot of his work just really embraces an analytic perspective of life and the unconscious and mm -hmm. things that, you know, a drive, drive based. Oh my God. And I mean, that just, that's the antithesis of, of that. It's, it's stand back and watch and don't, don't try to change what's happening. Just, just watch, just, just let it be, be in yeah. that with someone. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, um, so the people love him or hate him depending on what you need yeah. as an audience member. Yeah, right. And so I, I love, one of the things I love about him is he's one of the few directors or artists or whatever creators who doesn't decide the emotion for you. Mm -hmm. He lets you, and he even says, um, people go into a world and have an experience, um, that they bring so much of what makes them react is already inside of them. And so he, his movies are like projective tests. They're mm -hmm. like the Rorschach or the, he gives you this stuff that's nonlinear. It's completely oblique. It's just, and you, he's like, whatever it, it's already in you, mm -hmm. you're just reacting to it. And, and so a lot of people are like, I don't, I didn't, I didn't get that. I didn't understand what that was. And he does that intentionally. Yeah, he absolutely does, and I'm and I'm struck by you know last week on Shrink Chat you were talking about that movie Prom Night, mm -hmm. and we we kind of got into a short conversation as we've done in the past about like what scares different people type of thing, and that that it reminds me of that where like whatever scares us and whatever feelings we have in any kind of movie, whether it's horror or anywhere mm -hmm. else, um, it comes from within. It comes from so we have these unique experiences with films and TV and paintings and music and all that that are coming from within and yeah. that it's already there. So yeah, he says, I don't look for plot points or beats. It's more of an intuition. <laughs> so, which is really clear. I mean, if you've watched oh, David Lynch's oh, yes. work, <laughs> I was reading some, we'll talk about Eraserhead here in a minute, but I was looking at some of the reviews after because it, it, I'm going to say, and I, and I don't use this word, um, lightly. I felt very traumatized when I watched Eraserhead for a number of reasons. It really, it really pulled some stuff for me, but one of the comments I saw was what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> I, 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 exactly. I mean, I think people who need linear stories, things that make sense in a narrative for everyone you know, mm -hmm. are, are not gonna like it so much. And people, but people who embrace metaphor, who can extrapolate metaphor, you know, not everybody actually psychologically can. Yeah. So I want to take into consideration that that is just true for a lot of people mm -hmm. that metaphor, dream state, things that don't make linear sense, not everybody can actually cognitively go there. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's the reason why some people are contraindicated for therapy because they can't extrapolate what they learn in the room to their lives. Right. And so I just want to call attention to that. No, it's so true. Those, these kinds of movies don't really work for those kinds of people, but I personally don't need to be spoon fed what I'm supposed to feel. So yeah, I mean, sometimes you want to sit down and have a mindless piece of shit you watch and it's fun. But if you really want to just go somewhere deep, 
he and he has a lot of themes around dreams the unconscious uses a lot of um metaphors like the theater or curtains are sometimes like uh a gateway to the mind or the yeah. unconscious almost in every movie Eraserhead, Twin Peaks. I, I don't know if it's used in Blue Velvet. It's been such a long time since, but I know in Mulholland Drive, there's curtains and there's dream sequences and um, he uses that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. There's all kinds of metaphor for um, the unconscious or dream states. Yeah. He talks a lot about that. I did want to, before we get into Eraserhead, I mm -hmm. wanted to quickly mention, uh, he, he wrote a book uh, that I really enjoyed. It's a really quick read. I mean, depending on how quickly you want to move through it. Uh, it's called Catching the Big Fish, Meditation, Consciousness, and Creativity. And I, um, all my life, I've been an on-again, off-again writer. I kind of orient to the world as a writer. And so I read it uh, back in, I think, 2000-something. I don't know. Okay. Um, uh, it's a... It's got a paperback edition. It's a, it's you know it's described as a rare window into the into his artistry, his personal working style, and the creative benefits that he's gotten from meditation in particular. Um, I mean, at the time, it was a pretty amazing thing because, as you've mentioned, he doesn't he doesn't tell you what things mean necessarily. Although there are places uh, where he has been more forthcoming and talking about, you know, certain interviews and things where he's talked more over the years. I think as he's aged, he's mm -hmm. um, realized more that he actually wants to reflect on what they mean to him. I think, so. I think it is more of that because he's, he really doesn't care for journalists. He doesn't care to be interviewed because they want to ask him the questions that he doesn't really want to answer. Yeah. Like there's this interview that I read in preparing for this, that with Rolling Stone and he, he kind of talks about a few things. And mm -hmm. so he, he kind of does, but he certainly doesn't go on You know, he doesn't, um, talk about things in particular. And he's not standoffish. No, he's, no. he's a nice guy. Like, I don't want to paint him like he's an, he's an ass. I just think he, no, no, it's not coming from that place. No, it's not an arrogance. It's more of a, I kind of want to just leave it be. Yeah. So I just wanted to read this little bit from the book. Um, he says, ideas are like fish. If you want to catch little fish, you can stay in the shallow water. But if you want to catch the big fish, you've got to go deeper. Down deep, the fish are more powerful and more pure. They're huge and abstract, and they're very beautiful. I look for a certain kind of fish that is important to me, one that can translate to cinema. But there are all kinds of fish swimming around down there. There are fish for business, fish for sports. There are fish for everything. Everything, anything that is a thing comes up from the deepest level. Modern physics calls that level the unified field. The more your consciousness, your awareness is expanded, the deeper you go towards the source and the bigger the fish you can catch. Mm. So, and that's, you know, physics calls it the unified field. Um, modern psychology calls it the unconscious. So, mm -hmm. you know, so you can understand why someone with that philosophy would be very into meditation as well. Sure. Because he's interested in, in awareness, being aware and conscious. And so that's what I hear also in your story about watching the bird is mm -hmm. like, let's be in this moment. Let's not immediately try to change the moment before we've even experienced it. Yep. And that's totally a meditation philosophy and there's a lot of that in twin peaks where when you're all the stuff around laura palmer and and just 
the amount of times that there's these weird, awkward moments over her body and things like that, where you're just like, okay, you can cut now. It's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I rewatching it, it was like, oh, this is so much weirder watching it now. I mean, yeah. it was weird then because it was like such a cultural phenomenon because it was so really was. unique. Mm -hmm. um, and we also hadn't had a ton of, you know, a teenager's been killed type of shows at that point. So there was a lot of things that were unique about it. It was actually incredibly risque oh for my its God. time. Oh my gosh. So the teenagers in that uh, show are so sexualized. But the before sex, we get into the violence. Yeah. yeah. Before we get too far down the Twin Peaks road, because I definitely want to go there. Um, let's, let's do a, let's talk eraser head because oh my God. Okay. that was really his first movie. So he made this movie. I think uh, AFI helped him. Mm, American probably. Film Institute helped him. This was his first. It was 1977. Yeah, he'd done some shorts. But he'd done some shorts, and it was he wanted it to do well. Mm -hmm. It do, didn't do as well as it expected until it got caught on as a midnight movie. And then when it was caught as a midnight movie, then it really, it, there was a huge cult following. And um, it was really what helped him land The Elephant Man, yeah. which is what he uh -oh. did after, which I'll yeah. let you talk about. But Eraserhead is um oh my god i almost have chills talking about i had a I, there were moments that i almost had to stop it and walk out of the room and go do something and come back it really elicited a lot of uh emotion it was incredibly traumatizing there's a lot of there's so many different themes there's um sexual themes there's oppression themes there's um trauma there's um it, it, my God. Okay. So it takes place, basically it takes place in a, um, Oh God, I gotta, I gotta think of the, so it's an industrial, industrial environment. Thank yeah. you. Industrial environment. And the main character ends up dating this young woman. Um, and they end up having to care for the, the mother of this woman and the, the whole situation when he goes over to the house and has dinner over there. There's so many weird metaphors <laughs> and themes like they sit down and, and eat this chicken that the father's been cooking and the, the chicken comes alive at dinner and he's bleeding everywhere and the daughter's having these convulsions that almost look like orgasms. I mean, it's just incredibly creepy. There's a dog in the room that's just had like eight puppies who's like suckling on the, the, the mother, the dog. And there's just all this weird shit going on. Mm -hmm. And he ends up, um, the mother of, of the girl that he's dating finds out that they're having sex and yeah. says, okay, if this is what you are doing, there is a baby waiting at the hospital that you are now, you now have to take care of. And it's supposed to be clearly, um, something that they inherit due to their sexual perversion. Yeah. And, and I like how you said that. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And because of this just horrible act that they did, the baby's incredibly deformed. Okay. And so they are now um, left to care for this baby who almost looks like the head of it is almost like a, a chicken or a lizard. Yeah. And then the body's wrapped in all of this gauze. It's a mutant. It's, it's, it's incredibly deformed and mute. Yeah. It's a mutant. And so I'm not even going to go into all the detail, but basically what it does is it highlights this depressive era, um, the hell that, that he's living in because the, the girlfriend wants nothing to do with this. She ends up going home and he, and the baby starts to get really sick and you start to see like these boils develop on, and he's just trying to feed it and it's spitting out. And all the while he's having all of these 
crazy delusions and dreams about escaping this life that he's in. And he gets pulled into these different um, dimensions. Mm. So there, and, and we see this a lot with David Lynch is he pulls you into these different dimensions. There's a lot of um, surreal dimensions, demons, doppelgangers, psychotic killers. They're all like really big um themes in his film so there's the seductive neighbor across from him in his apartment who's trying to get him to escape from his reality and there's a scene where they're they're having sex and they almost like go into this water under the bed and they end up in this different dimension but the the highlight of this film is what what they call the radiator woman and it's supposed to be this uh when he's lying there in his bed he starts to hear this voice coming from the radiator and the camera kind of goes down into it. And this is really bizarre woman dancing on a stage. And what it's supposed to highlight is, is almost like a, a grim reaper or an unconscious. It's the heaven he's searching for to escape his life. And so he gets sucked in there and he's hoping to just be able to stay there because he doesn't want to go back to his reality. And so all of this stuff that's going on in this film, but it, I also have a lot of feelings about this, deformed child and even though it's supposed to be disgusting and horrific and you're supposed to hate it and be disgusted by it it pulled from me like pity empathy I actually felt horrible for this creature that nobody wanted to touch or Mm. pick up or care for Um, he's crying and the the mother just wants to like kill him so at one point the he unwraps the swaddling from the creature to, to to change it and you realize that's all that's holding him together. Mm-hmm. And all of these weird like spermatozoa start coming out. So there's all these like sexual themes. So basically he's being penalized through this film for having sex before marriage, right? And he ends up with this really, really nasty creature he has to care for and he really just wants to escape his life. It is the most disturbing, <laughs> depressing, yes. traumatic film I can definitively say I have ever sat through. And it was only like an hour and 20 minutes. So yeah, whenever we do our list someday we'll, of like the most disturbing films ever, it'll be on it's, your list. It's number sure. one. It's number one. And yeah. I had never seen it. And it really, really fucked me up for a couple of days. Yeah. I mean, what I, yeah, the visuals stick with you mm-hmm. is what I remember about it. And I was certainly too young to understand any of it. Um, and I didn't see it till I was an adult. So it was actually like already an old movie by the time I saw it. Um, but my understanding is it's supposed to be about like male paranoia and yeah, it's very Oedipal. I mean, he wants to destroy and kill his child at the end too. It's supposed to be male. It's like fears around parenting, fears around parenting, wanting to escape that life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, but it, from just a, a very surface space, uh, it it, it traumatized. I, I, it was on my mind for a good two days after I watched it. Yeah, that's Jack Nance too, who's in Twi- yeah. Twin Peaks. You know who that is. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, I do. <laughs> and so, and they call it's called Eraserhead for a number of reasons. But his hair okay. looks like yeah, the pictures are looks really like a, famous. A, pen, a pencil <laughs> in his hair looks like the eraser. But <laughs> at the very end, there's references to these pencils that are coming through this machine. It's it just I'm not even going to go into that part, but. <laughs> It, uh, I'm not going to say go watch it. It's awesome. I wouldn't say that like I would about Twin Peaks or Blue Velvet. It, you literally, you have to be in a certain type of mood. I don't even know what that would be. Just be prepared. But just be prepared. It's uncomfortable. That it's uncomfortable and it's, uh, you know, it's considered surreal. So like surrealistic filmmaking. Yeah. So it's not, it's not your average everyday no. film. Um, it's all black and white. 
And and going into the the sound mechanics of it is they really had to do this blend of music and industrial sound that they mm. use together. That That's is awesome. the, the background of the whole movie. It almost sounds like this industrial machine pumping mm-hmm. through the whole thing. So it gives you this really lonely, cold, um, abandoned feeling. And they, I guess they worked really hard on syncing that. That was mm-hmm. a big part of creating that. Oh, film it would have sound. to be, it would have yeah. to be a huge, I mean, music plays such a huge part for obvious reasons right. in his, in his films. I mean, I know that, um, the film had like five years of production because financially mm-hmm. it just kind of went in and out of being able to be done. Um, and, you know, he tried to get it into con film festival and, and stuff like that. But, you know, like some reviewers liked it. I mean, if you look on things like uh, Rotten Tomatoes now, there's this huge approval rating type of thing. But those are obviously those reviews are are entered in this day and time where we're looking back at right. it as a like a piece of art, piece, right? right? Like it's not worth anything till years later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because at the time, lots of people thought that this was a fucking awful movie oh, it's, it's, i mean it's nobody tragic. everybody was like what the hell is this i mean film film festivals reject it um it, it screened at la film festivals so that was really helpful and then the, what there's a connection to los angeles with this movie because um it it aired there and it got a distributor but then like you said that there's this like midnight midnight movie, movie. kind mm-hmm. of cult like thing like the rocky horror picture show that's exactly it, yeah. it got picked that's when people start because those are the type of people who are watching that or night of the living dead was yeah. another one of those during that right. period of time so and this is but this is the film that essentially landed him elephant man which i'll let you talk about yeah 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 um i will talk about the elephant man i just need to find my notes yeah so um I guess Kubrick has always said this is one of his, um, that Eraserheads always was like one of his favorite movies, which totally makes sense what you know about Kubrick, right? That it would be like, he's a little nutty. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The Elephant Man, actually, I was, again, far too young to understand it when I was a kid. I mean, Elephant Man came out in 1980. Is this the Anthony Hopkins one? Yes. Anthony Hopkins. I have seen this one. um, John Hurt. Yeah. Yes. So, this is a really good one because oh there's been gosh. a couple different ones. And it has, you know, it's more popular than Eraserhead for obvious reasons. Yeah. It does have a linear. <laughs> it does. And it was a bigger hit. But you see how it's the same theme. And it's all black and white, too. Because I'm thinking, I mean, it's similar themes in some ways. The um, disfigured, deformed. I'm thinking about like your identification with the, the baby yeah. in the movie. Just, you know, like we all identify with different characters in different movies based on our own psychology and also how the film director kind of directs you to mm-hmm. where to look and all of that. Um, but I mean, the Elephant Man is a is a deformed you know, person, but it was mm-hmm. a famous story at the time too. Mm-hmm. Like when this movie was made, I, uh, I, th- I don't know if the, if the play or what have you was already quite famous, but I know uh, fun fact, I know that Bradley Cooper recently in the last few years has played the elephant man on Broadway and the, apparently brought the house down like so good. He was the elephant man. Yeah. Oh, the musical score for this is great too. Again, he, again, the, the music. music is, but yeah, it's very depressing. Oh, so it came out in 1980. Um, John Hurt stars mm-hmm. as uh, John Merrick who is a deformed it's set in the 19th century in London and he's deformed. And I, I happen to like these kinds of stories because I, 
I've talked about this before where I really like Frankenstein. Yeah. And if you read the book Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, um, it's not a green monster with bolts no, in his neck. Not. So it, it's actually, you know, a mistreated sort of freaky person who doesn't fit into society and is thus dealing with all sorts of um, issues around loneliness. And um, yeah. And it makes me sad just thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. So it's set in London. Um, he's treated as a sideshow freak. He's uh, assume people assume that he's in using an old word, retarded or intellectually mm -hmm. compromised, but he's not. He's actually incredibly intelligent mm -hmm. and incredibly sensitive. And there is a doctor that takes interest in him who's played by Anthony Hopkins. He's so great in this. And he's so young, 1980. Yeah. <laughs> and he rescues uh, Merrick from a carnival. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, in those days and times, hell, now, most likely, too, um, people that look like Merrick get recruited yep. into... Freak shows. Carnivals. Um, but it's also that he has this terrible, terrible elephantitis, and that, that's, that's the elephant man. And so he's got a very... Um, many of our listeners will not have seen this film because it's so old, but it, it's, it's caused a situation in his head and back as I, as I remember where he's very deformed and almost looks like encephalitis. Yeah. It yeah. looks like he has a big, big cyst in bunches. And you know, there are obviously Googleable pictures of, of the real issue mm -hmm. that people still have. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what he does is he wears a bag over his head with like an eye hole mm -hmm. and a hat and he dresses normally otherwise. And, um, Anyway, this doctor uh, pretty much saves him. Cares for him. Cares for him. And it's what I know about this is that this this film has always been more emotional for me. Absolutely. Than actually than a lot of his work. Um, I I mean, I, I get that Eraserhead is really disturbing. <laughs> but, no, but this pulls something different. For me, this is... Um, uh, again, the the thoughts you had about the baby in that in that movie are, in, but this is like an old. This is a man who walks and talks and thinks and has a life, and the performances mm -hmm. in this movie are exceptional. It pulls on your heartstrings because it's, um, you know, it's the Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's Frankenstein. It's it's redemption. It's mm -hmm. you know transcending our physical bodies. It's. Um, a sense of there's like this um i mean you you mentioned it earlier where one of the tropes in lynch's work is this sort of fascination with the grotesque mm -hmm. and with uh death and dying suffering. and suffering and i don't know of a better representation of suffering mm -hmm. than this guy and and i also kind of like eraser head from what you said is that it's relentless mm-hmm it's something that just in our conversation here I'm realizing about Lynch is that his style and his thought process is relentless. No, there's, there's no breaks. It's just, it's very powerful. I mean, John Hurt is amazing yeah. in it. Um, very young too. Tons of empathy. Um, it's, it's tender and it's sad. And I guess I, you know, <laughs> like you said, go out and see it. You know, you just, mm -hmm. you don't have that feeling. You don't have that, it's great. Go see it kind of a feeling. But I actually could say 
If you don't mind black and white, because I know lots of people have issues with different ways that movies are made, but this was made in, what is it, 1983 or something? Um, 1980, sorry, I said it before. Um, if you have, if you like the, those kinds of movies that uh, maybe have you crying, maybe have you empathizing really deeply with the characters, uh, I would definitely recommend this and i mean look at the metaphor of physical de deformity mm -hmm. you know and how we look a certain way and i i think we joked a couple of weeks ago on one of the episodes about you said what if i just showed oh, up and you said i said you're so vain yeah. <laughs> you said you you made a real face at me that no one can see that's yeah. a face that i'm actually familiar it's one of it's one of her repertoire faces <laughs> um that she's like what if i was just looked like this all the time and then and then i was like we wouldn't be here and you're like oh you're so vain mm -hmm. so we were joking about that but it's really true in the sense that when the way people look makes us incredibly uncomfortable if it if a couple of things are going on there if they if they're uncomfortable with themselves or if we're if we don't know how to treat them i think we get into issues in society around does that, per, you know, do we ask them a question about their deformity? Do we not ask them a question about their deformity? I saw this really great documentary at Sundance this year that was actually um, embraced um, handicapped people. And there was a lot of education around that. It was it was called Crip Camp. I, I may have talked about it on one mm -hmm. of our Shrink Chat episodes, but it was in, it comes up for me in the context of talking about this particular movie because the filmmakers were there and they talked about it. And it's a there was a disability revolution long ago, um, and they would go. This particular movie is about they go to these this camp every summer, and it's where they can be who they really are, and no one, no one treats them differently, and no one asks them stupid questions about you know things, and no one treats them as if they're stupid and that kind mm -hmm. of thing. So, I don't know. It came it comes up for me because as a culture, we have a very. Um, I would recommend the documentary. It's definitely out. You can see it. Um. But with regards to this movie, it reminds me of that because in this movie, there is so much representation of prejudice. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. That's and, my and, thought. and the opposite would be if somebody is more socially attractive. Yes. How we trust them more. We, yes. We, uh, for example, if yes. someone is socially awkward on a date and they are very attractive, we find that endearing. If they are awkward they and, yeah. and not so attractive, we find them creepy. Mm -hmm. So it, it, how much we project onto the physical. And what really we find attractive yeah. too often switches with culture yeah. and time period. Mm-hmm. You know, women used to be more um, Rubenesque than they are now. And mm -hmm. that switches all the time about what we have in our society. Oh, yeah. And I, I happen to be tall. And I've had a projection when I was, especially when I was younger, um, that, you know, I was more competent and smarter and this kind of thing. People would project that onto me because of my height. People think I'm a lot younger than I am. There you go. I, I get that a lot because I'm like barely five, three, mm -hmm. um, people think I'm, the, I, I will have professional, not professionals. I will have clients of mine who will call me sweetheart and love mm -hmm. and all these things where if I 
was taller and maybe male. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely male, because as a taller woman, I still get called those things. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that there's just a lot of like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Projection, projection about how people look. Yeah. And so in this movie, people assume that he is intellectually challenged and he's actually the smartest person in this movie. Right. So I really liked it. Uh, we're going to take a break. I think when we when we come back, we'll talk uh, Blue Velvet, Twin Peaks, Mulholland Drive, whatever mm-hmm. else comes up. Thank you so much for listening. Take a break. Hold on. We'll be right back. While we take a break, go follow us on Instagram at Terror Talk Podcast, Twitter at Talk Terror, or on our Facebook page, Halloween All Year Long. If you prefer email, it's terrortalkpodcast at gmail.com. So reach out. If you like us, you can help us by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, or check out our Patreon page. We upload new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. Keep coming back, but first, stick around for more of our show. everyone this is terror talk we're back um can i say something you may i can't hear the name leland and not think of twin peaks oh how funny yeah that's the dad yeah yeah (laughs) so we're gonna start out by talking about twin peaks uh which is a david lynch uh written and directed yeah yeah i guess he created it i don't know that he wrote every episode i guess it is 90s i thought it was 89 but i guess it's 90s yeah. 90 to 91. Yes. 90 to 91. There's two seasons of the original series. We're not talking about the reboot that they did recently. Um, so Twin Peaks, two seasons, an idiosyncratic FBI agent investigates the murder of a young woman in the even more idiosyncratic town of Twin Peaks. That's the basic idea. Kyle MacLachlan stars in it. Um, so great. <laughs> Sherilyn Finn, Laura... Laura Flynn Boyle, um, those two in particular were made famous by this series, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and remained 90s, uh, I don't know, cornerstones because of it. Uh, two of the teenage people in this series were them. Joan Chen is in it back in the day. Ray Wise. Piper Laurie. I mean, all kinds of people did this show as well. Um I I know I rewatched season one and Miguel Ferrer is in there. I mean Robert Forster. I know there's so many so many so interesting many people. people. Um so the thing about Twin Peaks is is that when it came about for me and I believe for our culture, it was incredibly unique and it was a sensation, like what they say. It sort of changed television in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of shows about teenagers dying nowadays, you know, uh, teenagers at the at the focal point of a television show where they run around like adults. And we didn't have a ton of that in 1990. No. So... So that was just unique in and of itself. And it starts with a teenage female being found murdered. And that also wasn't necessarily something that everybody talked about. And all of the people, it, there's a lot of sex. Well, I was about to say, <laughs> yeah, there's the sexual piece to it. But then also, if there was something like that prior to Twin Peaks, yeah. you didn't see it as graphically Correct. I mean, her body was purple and cold and dead and stiff, and there's 
it's very it's very graphic that iconic image of twin peaks is her blue dead face right i mean that's unique in of itself i mean i don't think they would choose any kind of imagery like that these days to be the iconic image of a show is is laura's uh dead face twin peaks to this day is in like the top five favorite series i've ever seen you know rewatching it was real fascinating because it was different for me um i i love it it's certainly on a top top list of mine but i was very hyper aware of its melodramatic oh yeah you know a soap opera-esque mm-hmm. and well, i mean leland's a mess and that isn't how i remember it because i was so much younger when i watched it i probably had all of that melodramatic thought process still as See, a young I re- person i remember it being really over the top yeah i mean it yeah. was over the top because the music is really over the top and it's it hits you over the head because that music is just there all the time that theme song is used constantly um <laughs> what about what about the red room yeah yeah a little guy <laughs> So we'll we'll talk about it in just one second because that's an important part of this, I think, discussion. But or just the metaphor of Twin Peaks. The other two things I want to mention that were super unique about this show that um, are iconic for me is that the Pacific Northwest had not been. Um, this is takes place in it's Twin, a small, a Twin small Peaks. Town. Yeah, it's small town, and the Pacific Northwest had not been as um, important as a as a place mm-hmm. in a show before and there is a ton of that culture in the show and it's just not something that you know people had set tv series in mm-hmm. necessarily so you got waterfalls and the coldness and the crispness and the and the landscape and the, it, it just um it's overcast it's constantly overcast there's it's no dreary. sunny day it's in twin dreary. peaks yeah. yeah pacific northwest it, 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 it sets the tone it's the tone is impeccable i mean if you can't say really anything about twin peaks if you don't say the tone is exactly Mm -hmm. where it needs to be the other thing i wanted to mention was that kyle mclaughlin is the person also that catapulted this series that character he is an fbi agent and he is quirky as fuck yeah and and then uh, lucy i love i know that all the characters are quirky but special agent dale cooper who is the main character really of this show. And there's still a lot of references to his character now. Like he's pretty notorious. Cultural references. So if you don't know this show and you didn't know what special agent Dale Cooper was or any kind of references to that, now you do because in the 30 episodes of the original Twin Peaks, I mean, he's the guy. There's one episode where it opens with him hanging upside down and record because he records Mm -hmm. all of his notes to his assistant Diane Mm -hmm. into a recorder. So he's always talking to Diane. I'm doing da 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 like his breakfast and his Mm -hmm. like he says everything in there. And he's in boxer shorts and nothing else. And he's hanging upside down and he's doing his notes and then he flips himself over. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I have so many memories of thinking Kyle was like the hottest guy ever. And and I think that was part of it too, is he was like this quirky, smart. We didn't have fifty five thousand FBI shows then either. Mm-hmm. So an FBI agent, he was young. Well, and this was not your typical FBI show. No, no, he was young and cute, and definitely um, 
interesting and he does super crazy stuff he like walks into a room and talks about the weirdest shit or stop stops and points at a picture and you're it's just like this long shot at him and you're just like waiting for something to happen and it just goes alrighty then and he keeps mm-hmm. walking and like what was that about mm-hmm. it's all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um, but anyway I wanted to mention that Kyle was definitely one of the reasons yeah. why this was super famous so With Blue Velvet comes, I mean, with Twin Peaks, sorry, I was I was all of a sudden thinking about Blue Velvet. With Twin Peaks comes this allegory for the afterlife is the way a lot of people have thought about the Red Room or the Black Lodge, as it's called. I believe that's the Black Lodge. Um, and that, you know, you were talking about Lynch's fascination with death and um, misery and... So there's this room with curtains. Curtains are a big theme, as you know, as you said. Um, and the things that happen in that room are are Kyle's, are Special Agent Dale Cooper's dreams. Mm-hmm. And in this show, he actually dreams things that he then goes and acts on. And that is... Well, and there's a lot of clues. Controversial. Yeah, there's a lot of clues, too. So, like, there's... Um, uh, just the the what's the word I'm looking for? Um, he sees things before they happen. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Intuition. Again, there's the intuition, right? Yeah. Um, the, the he he treats them as visions. He does. Yes, but they're dreams. And then, like you said, he then goes and investigates. Yeah, investigates on dreams. Like he literally will tell the the local cop and the different people, like I had a dream, and here's what happens, and this is what happens, and then they go and act on that. And there's never, I mean, I couldn't remember, but now that I rewatched it recently, there's never any discussion about this is weird that we're following someone's dreams to investigate a crime. Mm-hmm. Like it, there's just there's a willing acceptance of that idea. I, I, I would almost say that um i think when people watched twin peaks when it was actually on mm-hmm. that most people really didn't even have a fucking clue what was going on i, I don't <laughs> no, think people no. were like oh he's now following his dreams and he's <laughs> i think most people were like the fuck was that little guy talking about in that room and what does that have to do with what's going on here i think more people at that time were like this is so bizarre oh yeah it was super bizarre i mean you you but here's the thing i think the way they made it work was that it was a dream like you knew it was a dream it was a dream you they set it up that you know and they were famous dreams these dreams were talked about quite a bit in the first season laura was in the dreams laura's in the dream there is a little person in the dream that they use stop motion photography on so they shot it him going backwards and then they (laughs) That's what he sounds like when he talks about Laura Palmer. He goes, ah, I'm going to get a clip right now. I'm going to let you guys hear it. Okay. So, so he, so the, um, little person in the, in the, um, sorry, the black lodge is, which is actually a big red room is, you know, speaking backwards like that, like <laughs> satanic verses or whatever, speaking backwards and also moving backwards so that the motion looks like he's popping and locking, um, which is what 
motion looks like when you're film someone going forward and then watch it backwards. It looks like very disjointed movement. So it's super cool. <laughs> so there's the black lodge and the white lodge, and there's all this metaphor and all of these lodges and such. And go ahead, Kathy. I, well, know I, you wanna, I, I, I can I tell I before know. I go on to my next thing. Let's I know see, you're see. the music's so great in this. I know and it's backwards. You can yeah. hear it. Laura's whispering in his ear at this point. And there's a lot of this, I think, and the dreams are not all, not all of them are in reverse though, right? No. Yeah. No. comes a little man <laughs> and he's dancing oh and he dances yes he yeah. dances yes and moves around if you guys want to look up what we're watching right now it's twin peaks red room in reverse yeah he, they're in the red room if i can get to him to there's a black lodge a white lodge the red room there's lots of different s symbols Okay, that's good. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the idea. <laughs> and but in the dream, it it's he, Kyle understands what he's saying. Agent Cooper understands mm -hmm. what he's saying and understands what's happening and wakes up from the dream, knowing what it meant, which I just think is so interesting. But there's this idea that the Black Lodge or these places that are represented, the White Lodge, the Red Room, the Black Lodge, um, are they're kind of ambiguous when you're watching them. You're not really sure in their dream states, but there's this idea that it's the afterlife mm. because of Lynch's. Um, well, that would make sense because Laura's there. Right. So he's mm. going into the afterlife and getting answers from the dead. Right. And that trope we've seen a lot now since in contemporary since there. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't exactly know if that's the first time that's been done. Probably not. I don't know. I never, I never think there's a first time for anything, but there always is. Mm -hmm. um, but, but that trope has been, you know, done a lot now, but at the time that was not like I'm saying, like taking um, instruction from dreams was definitely not in the zone then. And that is incredibly analytic. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is an analytic concept. Uh, the analytic concept around dreams is that they are our unconscious giving us information. Mm -hmm. um, not prophetic, not, you know, fantasy, but that if we take our dreams and interpret them, they're a window into our soul. And Lynch obviously believed that as he put it as a representation so many times. Um, what do you remember about watching Twin Peaks for you? Um, I mean, it, it was scary. Mm -hmm. Okay. Some of it because of what we already stated, which was it was the first for its time, teenage death. Mm -hmm. I wasn't quite a teenager yet, but I was getting there. Mm. Um, and so that was scary. I think it was fascinating to me because I love, I already loved horror and suspense by that point. And I had never seen a TV show mm. do what it did. 
Um, so the mystery w- was great. The music was great. I was just incredibly pulled in and intrigued and terrified and also really disappointed when they ended it. Yeah. They, oh they, my God. I was so disappointed. They pulled it prematurely. And some of that had to do with the networks wanting it to be done. Mm. Um, there was a lot of controversy around. Oh the show. yeah. I mean, it was not widely accepted. Like no. most of Lynch's work. I mean, the elephant man is his most linear, most um, acceptable Did he write project. that though? The elephant man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he did. From what I remember. Oh, I didn't think he wrote that. Um, so, you know, it directed by, but I don't know if he wrote it or not in this moment in time. Um, Twin Peaks, Wild at Heart, Fire Walk With Me, uh, those are all in this sort of world, and they took over a time period of 87 to 96 uh, in television. And this is a this is a time when, um, and Mark Frost was also a television producer that produced this with, he, mm-hmm. he had, he had done Hill street blues. So oh, he was so familiar true. with this kind of, this kind of world and had obviously had a lot of experience with this, um, with law enforcement type shows, but man, Twin Peaks is so different. It was very different. So he did, sorry, he did direct it. He did not write it. Okay, gotcha. Um, which was probably why it was a little bit more linear. There you go. Yeah. That that um, makes sense, right? But Twin Peaks was all his. Yes, yes it was. And I, I too was very disappointed. You know, there's some um, film f- people that talk about uh, s- some of his other films being actually in the Black Lodge. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> like Mulholland Drive is one of those films where they talk about thinking that, you know, um, this Black Lodge, this metaphoric place that he's created of the afterlife, that some of his later films, um, Lost Highway and then Empire, actually took, uh, Mulholland Drive, actually took place um, in that. And there's lots of themes, guys. There's like so much metaphor, um, doors, curtains, yeah. insects are a big thing. Mulholland Drive, I, I, I see more as um, more in the psyche and the mind than the afterlife which i think is an argument for the unconscious too it is you know conscious and unconscious like i I can see why they talk about that like the in that realm right so mulholland drive to me is more about choices okay the choice you make is where you end up okay um and so the 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 canyon so mulholland drive should we just move into that let's do it uh mulholland drive is 2001 and a lot of really really Famous people. Naomi Watts was the the lead in that. Uh, Justin Thoreau was in it. Um, basically, Naomi Watts, fresh off the plane, moves to L.A., takes over her aunt's apartment, who passes away. And this woman is randomly in there taking a shower after finding herself there after being in a car accident and not really not knowing who she is. And Naomi Watts, just so young and kind of dumb. It's like, I'll, I'll help you figure out who you are. <laughs> but really, as, as the movie goes on, you figure out that Naomi Watts is really living in two different realities, one in which she is uh, this depressed addict, um, just really losing grip on her life, and then the other where she's famous um, movie star, but also struggling with um, just... Is, as much as she is doing well in her career, struggling with um, love and all of these other things. And so it's very it's very symbolic. This whole film is very symbolic. Um, if you don't live in Los Angeles or you don't know Mulholland Drive, um, mm-hmm. I'm on it every day. I, I 
live off of it. Uh, <laughs> it, it I work off of it. She lives off of it. Um, it the, the canyons supposedly symbolize different parts of the brain. So Mulholland Drive is incredibly long and windy. Many car accidents happen on it, which is probably why they chose it for the film because it starts with a car accident. But yeah. it's also very famous home of Madonna, John Lennon, Jack Nicholson, Marlon Brando, Bruce Willis, Walter Matthau, Gene Hackman. It's it's very well known. It's also one of the most dangerous roads for car crashes. It has incredible views. Um, and so it's, it's chosen metaphorically and literally. And um, the idea of this film, I'm not going to go into it as much as we did for Twin Peaks because a lot of the same themes of dreams and choices, paths, um, it's basically the paths you choose sort of determine where you end up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, there's a theme of like desire and ignorance leading to suffering. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, I think that what I loved about this film was really just the power of choice and, and how much free, like, as much as we have free will, we get to choose our destiny in a lot of different ways. But, um, it's it's incredibly dark and twisted, just like the rest of his stuff. It didn't get there was a lot of criticism around it, like mm. there is with many of his films, but <laughs> yeah. it it definitely didn't get the attention like Twin Peaks or Blue Velvet did. No, no. I, I remember seeing it. I I rewatched it and I, I kind of understood why. Um, but it's just it's 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 David Lynch. I remember liking it. Yeah, I, I liked it. I did like and, it. And maybe I I mean I. I'm a David Lynch fan, so that's mm-hmm. one reason why I like it. I, I understand it, you know, like I understand yeah. him and what he's trying to do as much as anyone can. I sort of, it, it's in line with how I see the world kind of thing, mm-hmm. a lot of his work. So I liked it for that reason, but I also like the performances and I have lived in Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. so I think I had that connection, yeah. you know, it's just, oh, a movie in a place where I, you know, we all feel connected to those kinds yep. of movies. And, and when watching, you know, Twin Peaks, it was a it was a place I'd never been at that age. Like I'd right. never been to the Pacific Northwest. So it was like an exotic kind of right. cold part of the world is kind of how I looked at it. Yeah. Like a dreary. But I I have since been many, many times. And I, mm. I absolutely really love it up mm-hmm. there, actually. It's, it's beautiful. Definitely top five places I would move. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So I, we have to touch on Blue Velvet. It's it's interesting because I hesitate sometimes <laughs> when I was preparing this and I was looking at it and I was rewatching stuff. I hesitated so much with Blue Velvet and I didn't know necessarily why I was resisting it. Is I think it's because to talk about Blue Velvet in kind of an overarching general way is super difficult for me, <laughs> but I'll try. And then I will say that you know. I've been throwing it out there. We've been talking about like movies and mental health and movies I would talk about as far as being able to speak in a, in a depth way about movies is blue velvet is like up there. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's widely known or assumed to be inspired by Freud and psychoanalysis, Mm -hmm. which I did not know that when I first watched Blue Velvet and when I was super into this movie, like as an undergrad, like I, I didn't know that. I was a little obsessed with it after I first saw it. Yeah. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons why is people don't understand that, you know, these are all drives and instincts that we all have, but it's, it's specifically an allegory for Freud's Oedipus complex. Mm -hmm. So 
for those of you who don't know, the original psychoanalytic theory is that um, Freud, uh, it's more complicated than what I'm going to, I'm really doing a reductionist thing here, but I'm going to go into it anyway. Um, he, uh, Freud argues that ch children suffer from sexual attraction to the parent of the opposite sex. Um, essentially a part of like growing up and maturing sexually is, is, and this person's first, like your first sexual experiences are, were, this is according to Freud. So let's just understand this was like very, very old, a long time ago. <laughs> and many people have improved on Freud's theories, but it was the Genesis. Let's just be, be aware of that and not freak out. Um, that a person's first sexual experiences were one heterosexual, so we'll just put that out there because that's what Freud thought. But he also talks about um, other orientations, but that's not what we're talking about. So that, you know, boys wanted to have sex with their mothers and girls wanted to have sex with their fathers is basically what we know of Freud's Oedipal Complex. And it's played out in this particular movie. And Dennis Hopper's terrifying. Oh, MG. Love him. So... So because that idea, so let maybe we could, in very simplistic terms, extrapolate that to if you happen to have, um, if you like same-sex sexual partners, that you would have wanted to fuck your mom or fuck mm -hmm. your dad in the same way. So mm -hmm. I think it kind of applies. We'll, we'll just go with that. Um, but because this idea, <laughs> no matter how it manifests, is so taboo in our society, um, these feelings are pushed aside or pushed down. This was Freud, part of Freud's theory is that we're not allowed to actually say, I'd like to fuck my parent. Um, and so those feelings are pushed aside and then children are, you know, make up for that fact with unfulfilled um, uh, desire, sexual desire towards that parent. And so we get Hamlet and all kinds of different, uh, we get Oedipus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Shakespeare's Oedipus, uh, it's played out in a lot of different kinds of ways. So even though Freud originally floated that idea, it can definitely be applied to Blue Velvet. So at the beginning, there's a father character, Jeffrey Beaumont, who suffers from a heart attack and ends up incapacitated in the hospital. And this father is associated with um, the sort of picturesque world. I think it was shot in North Carolina. <clears throat> White picket fences and technicolor images and um with no father to identify jeffrey um goes into this underworld in lumberton which is the city and seeks out a father figure basically um kyle mclaughlin is also in this movie and is awesome in my mm -hmm. opinion did you and very young <laughs> and so young well it was only yeah a couple of years before he just seems, looks a lot younger in it than he does in Twin Peaks to me. I think it's because he's true. He's an agent in Twin Peaks. I think they make him look a little bit older. But yeah, and I don't know if he's if he was in his twenties. I mean, you do men do start yeah. to look older. Yeah. You know, like they grow a lot in yeah. the twenties. And it's just a different character. It came out in 1996. It was considered a neo-noir mystery film because it's definitely a mystery. Um, you you mentioned before you said we said 1986. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that would have been. Yeah, a good four or five years before he did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so even though that doesn't seem like a long time. He went from like 26 to 30. That's, that's Yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. Like that's what I mean by when yeah. you're younger, the the way you mature is a lot faster mm -hmm. than when you're 40 to 45. That's right. You look the same. Yeah. Um, but 
he, yeah, he's excellent in that film. I I believe uh, Isabella Rossellini. Oh, she's great too. Dennis Hopper, Laura Dern. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the songs, Bobby Vinton's song, um, and the other song that you mentioned. What the hell was that song? I mentioned a song from Eraserhead. Oh, 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 yeah. oh, gotcha. So. <clears throat> The film is about a young student who returning home to visit his old father, which is what I was talking about. So Kyle <laughs> finds a severed human ear mm-hmm. in a field, and that leads to discovering this sort of criminal conspiracy, and it, there's this really odd romantic relationship with Isabella, who's a lounge singer. Um, and again, like most, like almost all of David Lynch's stuff, it's neo-noir it's surreal it's odd and at one point dennis hopper walks into the room and says i'll fuck anybody <laughs> or got, something like that he's like the oxygen right? yeah, yeah yeah he sucks on oxygen and he oh he <laughs> rolls into one of the rooms and screams i'll fuck anything that moves i mean he's just he's id yeah he's our id yeah. meaning total freud's concept of art our, our primitive perspective on the world our instincts um there's a lot of scenes in this that are influenced by freud there's a lot of sadomasochism Mm -hmm. yeah and so what was happening too is that you know if, if freud is saying our sexual urges are um put uh i can't think of the word are stuffed under you know are hidden because they're taboo this this Oedipal urge, then you know this could be this argument for sadomasochistic uh, behavior, and so there are multiple sexual exploits in this film. Um, this the concept. It's not porn. You're not watching that kind of stuff. It's just it's very sexually driven. Mm-hmm. It's it's sexualized. It's sexy in some parts. It's dark. It's dark and sexy, and if you can tolerate that. <laughs> I would say, like, like with all Lynch's films, go watch it. Mm-hmm. But know that it's really hard to watch. But yeah. Dennis Hopper, if for no other reason, watch it for Dennis Hopper's performance. Yeah, he's pretty amazing. And my understanding is that when um, Lynch was casting this movie, Hopper called him up and you know, after having read the script, and said, "I have to play this part." And Lynch was like, why? And he's like, because I am this guy, mm. which is scary. Mm-hmm. But anyway, one of my favorite movies. It's a good one. You liked it too back yeah. in the day? I did. I watched it um, when it was already old-ish. Yeah, okay. So I, like didn't, I didn't watch it when it came Later out, in the 90s, maybe. I would have been really young. Like 90s. I probably watched it in the 90s. Well, you watched all the horror films when you were two, but... I think these are worse. <laughs> They're much more psychological. Well, horror films are they're slasher, most slice of them. and dice. Most of them, yeah. But this is I wouldn't have watched this that young. No, you well, and you might you just wouldn't have known what was going on either. Yeah. I, didn't I mean there's a little bit of linear this stuff. Would, this but... would have scared me way more than Friday the thirteenth. Yeah, because it's people that look like you and it's me, you know, surreal. it's this much more real, much grittier, yeah. um, like what we've been talking about over time. It's just like grittier. Um, so we're gonna, that's pretty much our conversation around David Lynch, yeah. unless you have anything else no. to, to add. I think we both love him very much mm-hmm. would be the shining yeah. <laughs> thought of that. And 
just in talking with you today and in preparing for this episode, I was very overwhelmed by how much there would be hypothetically to talk about with David mm -hmm. Lynch uh, because it's incredibly complex. And so I was actually having a difficult time thinking about how we were going to talk about it in an overarching way. Mm -hmm. So we did our best. Yeah, because <laughs> there's a lot. I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways you could go. But I, I think for people who... We wanted to give a smattering, right? Like yeah. a like for a general audience of what Lynch mm -hmm. sort of represents. Yep. And hopefully we did that. We're going to be right back. We're going to do a What the Hell segment today. So we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. We're back. This is our What the Hell segment. For those of you who don't know, every now and then I explain ourselves. I explain us. Explain ourselves? Our, yeah. That's proper English, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. What the hell segment is a is a time is a segment that we like to do where Kathy and I both go out, we find a ridiculous news story about a ridiculous criminal, and we bring it here, and we don't really look into it or research it, and we just thought we just share it with each other. Yeah, we do, and with you, and with you, the audience. So mine today is ridiculous and sort of short, and I just don't understand what's happening here. I just don't understand it. Give it, give it to us. So, Spain's most wanted man has taunted police by staring, starring in a YouTube video alongside a string of scantily clad women. Oh, so yeah, this guy is considered to be one of the leaders of a very prolific drug trafficking gang um, near Gibraltar, over overseas, and. <laughs> Filmed a video where he is getting out of a Bentley and there's a dozen semi-naked women waiting with champagne and, and in a jacuzzi. So here's the thing. It's like this X-rated clip. And what ended up happening is they're looking for this guy. This guy is on the lam, so to speak. He's this huge drug trafficking ring guy. And he ends up shooting this video where he's in this this film this video film like at the swimming pool at the bar in a dark room and there's like sadomasochistic toys and it's like basically a porno <laughs> jesus <laughs> and he's this leader of this gang and so they come upon the narco people come across it and then are find him because of this porn that he decides to, to to be in, which I can't, I read this and I thought it doesn't make much sense to share this as a what the hell, but I had to because I thought he he's a wanted drug cartel guy and then he decides to be in a porn. Yeah. I, I don't understand. He got I, distracted. We're on drugs or, and then this video was like the key to, to figuring out what had happened and to finding him. And well, I mean, I think he just was like, yeah, I'll be in a porno. Yeah. I don't think he was. Yeah. And maybe there was drug use. I, I have no idea. Maybe. Or um, he was just thought that sounded great. Sounded fun. And then just didn't really think about what that was going to mean. Well, so, he's part of a drug cartel, which tells me he probably doesn't think a lot about. It's entirely possible, Kathy. Yeah. What are you saying? Should we do a forensic evaluation no. on this guy? No, we no, don't want it's it. pretty simple. We don't, we don't, 
We don't yeah. need a complicated no. psychological no. assessment of a guy who is wanted internationally and then does a porn that shows a venue, like a place where he's at. <laughs> no, we shouldn't do that. Mm-mm. Okay. Thank you. You know, you're next. Mm. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> it's a hot summer day. Oh, okay. You've worked hard and long hours, so you can enjoy some time at your local pool. It's Michigan. That's where I'm from. Yeah. And such pleasures are few and fleeting. Mm. Then, without warning, a nasty brown object comes floating your way. Oh, oh. It's not a Baby Ruth bar. You and the poop. This nightmare became a reality for the residents of Macomb County, Michigan in summer 2019. Local news reported that an unknown serial pooper was on the loose. <laughs> You're doing that creepy voice. And do. he preferred to leave his natural evidence behind in a subdivision swimming pool. Didn't you do serial pooper last week too? No, she was she was <laughs> almost embarrassed. Kinda embarrassed. <laughs> I'm like, well, you with the excrement. The story all started. It surprises me. There's so much around Speaking poop crimes. Of Freud, like this is a real thing for you. The story all start. <laughs> You're the one who bought me poop Play-Doh. I you know. started it. This is what I'm saying. The it's story all started when the board president of the Buckingham Recreational Facilities Association <laughs> voice of yours. wrote a memo decrying the unknown individual pooping in the subdivision's pool located near 23 Mile Road. The serial poopers' har- harmful activities had already caused several pool closures and costly cleanups by the time the memo was circulated, fortunately for all lovers of the Buckingham Woods community pool. The serial pooper was caught on video defecating. <laughs> A member of the community. I can't, I can't with you right now. A member of the community was identified and banned from the pool for the rest of the summer. The name of this delinquent has not been released to the public, which could mean that the offender is under 18. Back to you, Shannon. So the whole episode, she's like sitting back in her chair, kind of away from the mic like this, you know, talking. We're all real calm. As soon as she's talking about serial pooper, she's right up here on the mic talking about there poop. Are so much, there's so much crime around pooping. It's getting her excited. The poop, the poop thing is huh. very, you're very invested. Maybe. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. We enjoyed talking at you today. And that is our show. Uh, this is Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. If you enjoyed this show, there are two things you could do for us. Subscribing and sharing our episodes on social media, as well as writing a review on iTunes. Plus, you could check out our Patreon page. Don't hesitate to contact us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and of Shrink Chat every Friday. Until then, goodbye and have a pleasant tomorrow.